Bibles, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, will begin there. All of our young people, 6th grade and down, being dismissed for Children's Church, Mr. Paul and Mr. Luke. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, and verse number 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. I would like to preach a message this morning as we enter the season of the year called fall. I would like to preach a message entitled Lessons from the Seasons. Lessons from the Seasons. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us as we look into your word and see a biblical basis for a right understanding of the seasons, the four seasons, but in particular as we think about fall today and the lessons that you decide and determine and desire for us to learn from your word as we think about the changing of the seasons. And God, we need your help and I pray that you would both strengthen our hearts and challenge our hearts as we consider this uh, time-relevant message, and I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the word season uh, comes from uh, an old Latin word, serrar, and an old French word, uh, saison. If you're a French speaker and I just butchered that, you can take it up with me later on. Uh, but uh, the old Latin word, serrar, the old French word, uh, saison, and it means seed or seed time. So in the very etymology of the word season is a connection between uh, the seasons that we experience and the sowing of seed and then months later the harvesting of seed. And so there's an inseparable link between the seasons and the agricultural cycle of uh, sowing and reaping. Uh, that being said, fall is my favorite time of year. How many of you would say fall is your favorite time of the year? Matter of fact, just to be in the spirit, I have articles of clothing that I associate with particular times of year, and since fall is my most favorite time of year, is it going to cause any great offense if I preach in my flannel this morning? One thing about it, you'll never forget it. Uh, and just be glad I'm not preaching my flannel pajamas. You know, some people go shopping in their flannel pajamas, don't they? <laughs> I love the changing of the seasons. Fall is my most favorite time of year as we transition from summer and the days get shorter, the nights get cooler. And then, I don't know why I get emotional about this, be maybe because it just increases my admiration and worship for our Creator. But when those leaves start changing... The explosion of the colors, the, the, the feeding process. I had to do some study on this. The, the feeding process of chlorophyll, the dark green color, uh, begins to break down. As the days get shorter, the nights get cooler, the feeding process of chlorophyll breaks down, and so the green pigment goes out of the leaves. I didn't realize this, but it's the green pigment that dominates in the leaf. There are actually other pigments in the leaves, depending on the tree. And so as the green pigment dies and goes away, it allows the reds, the yellows, the oranges, the purples, the burgundies, and this broad palette of color to come out. 
It becomes a feast for our eyes. And I want us to, this morning, understand it should also be uh, an experience that moves our heart to deeper worship of our Creator. Like everything else in creation, the changing of the seasons is meant to direct our attention to God. Not only is season our seasons connected with seed time and harvest, that agricultural cycle, but as many of you may know as well, they're also connected with the orbits of our planet and the sun and its relation to the sun and its relativity to stars as well. And the Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day, uh, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language. You can go to the remotest parts of the world, primitive peoples. There is no speech or language where the voice of the heavens are not declaring the glory of God. And witnessing to the conscience of mankind. Seasons, as we know them, In the northern hemisphere, and this is the same for folks in the southern hemisphere, seasons are the result of the earth's rotation on its tilted axis, 23.4 degrees, around a fixed point, rotating around the fixed point of the sun. 67,000 miles an hour our earth is traveling right now as it orbits the sun, one full rotation in 365 days and a few hours that are all made up in the leap year. Seasons result from the Earth's rotation. I don't want you to get this. They result from the Earth's rotation on its precisely tilted axis around the fixed point of the sun. The beauty of the changes of the seasons are a result of their being fixed in its rotation around the fixed point of the sun. And here's the lesson for you and for me. The beauty of the changes of the seasons of our lives will only be beautiful as they are focused on the unchangeableness of our God. Seasons should cause us to focus on or remember our God. They should cause us to remember or focus on the power of our God. There are those that are of the evolutionary theory persuasion that believe that uh, seasons are a part of the evolutionary process. The Bible tells us very clearly that God created seasons on the fourth day. You see that in verse number 14. The sun and the moon made by God put in the sky not only to help us mark the day-night cycle, but also the annual cycle to let them be for signs that is, directional signs, seasonal signs, and for seasons, for days, and for years. And so, the sun and the moon give us what we need as it relates to the agricultural cycle of sowing and reaping, and give us the seasons. And these seasons should be a reminder to us of the power of our God. He is omnipotent. He can do anything but fail. I think about Acts chapter 14. Go there with me if you would. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 15. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 15. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas are in a city called Lystra preaching the gospel. They've done some miracles. And the pagans of the city are so overwhelmed that they want to call Paul and Barnabas gods. 
And they're going to sacrifice to them and worship them. But verse number 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, turn from idol worship. But then notice what he says about the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Verse number 17, nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful, what? Seasons. Filling our hearts with food and gladness. I grew up in farm country in the Midwest. And one of the reasons I love fall is because there's nothing quite like harvest. Firing up the combine and the tractors with the auger buggy and going out and harvesting the abundance of the crops in the field and bringing them in in the auger buggies and then loading them onto trucks and driving those trucks to the grain bins and uh, churning that corn out to the grain bins and then knowing that it's going to feed and to meet needs. I remember coming home at the end of the day from having gotten up in the auger buggy and tamped all the corn down into the corner because we've had a good harvest and breathing the diesel smoke coming off the, the exhaust of the tractor and having black soot under my nose. And when I take my boots off at night, I dump a half a bushel of corn out of my boots. It's just there's, there's no better life than that right there, harvest. But understand that all of these Blessings that we associate with seasons are to point our attention to the power of our God. He made the seasons. He made the sun and the moon, which helped to govern the cycle of the seasons. I like what the old black preacher said years ago. <laughs> he said, God stepped out where there was nothing, and he said, Son, be, and it was. And he stepped out in another place where there was nothing, and he said, moon be, and he hung the moon where there was nothing. I think it's interesting in Genesis chapter number one, just almost as a passing statement, he made the stars also. Okay. Look, if you would, at Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one and verse 16. Colossians one and verse number 16, for by him, speaking about Jesus Christ, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And then notice verse number 17. And he is before all things and by him all things, what's the word? Consist. consist. The word consist literally means held together. Amen. The seasons which we experience because of the orbit that our earth experiences around the sun in our solar system are a testimony to the power of God because they are all held in their precise orbit and the earth on its 23.4 degree axis that is helped in its balance by the gravitational pull of the moon, all of those things, get this, the Bible tells us Jesus holds them all together in his hand. And so the season should cause us to focus on and to remember the power of God. And I want you to get this. If he can do that and hold all that together, then no problem you and I have is too big for him either. Okay. And a flannel shirt will help you remember that. 
But I want you to notice, secondly, the season should cause us to focus on or remember the promises of God as sustainer. Genesis chapter number 1 makes it very clear that God instituted the seasons on the fourth day with the creation of the sun and the moon. But I want you to notice Genesis chapter 8. Because of the wickedness of man, God judged the world with a flood, the deluge. The Bible clearly says it was not a regional flood. All the earth was destroyed. Because the wickedness of man was so vile that God was moved to judgment. He spared Noah and his wife, three sons and three daughters-in-law, because they believed God. By the way, the ark door was open for anyone who would have believed God and gotten on the ark. Lest we impugn the motives of God and the offer of God and the heart and the love of God, the door was open, the message was preached for 120 years by Noah. Judgment is coming. And it was a big boat. If you don't believe that, you can go to Kentucky or Ohio and see a replica of it. It was big. That's the thing I hear. I haven't been there yet. I've been by it. But I hear people say the size, the size, the size. Do you know what that is? That's a testimony of the heart of God that men could have gotten on. By the way, Jesus Christ is the ark of salvation. And there's room at the cross for you. The door is open. Come to Jesus if you don't know him as Savior. Notice if you would... Genesis 8, verse number 20. Now Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered up burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. And then notice a promise. God gives a promise. While the earth remaineth. Okay, I have a question. For you, in light of the current debate about global warming and climate change, does the earth remain right now? Okay. Just check it, all right? While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter, what do we call those? Seasons. And day and night shall not cease. Do you know that as we experience the change of the seasons, not only should it cause us to focus on and remember the power of God as creator, but the promises of God as the sustainer. Even with the cataclysm of a worldwide flood, God, for very specific reasons, maintained the seasons. We see that in Genesis chapter number 8, and part of it was a testimony of his promise. I think about the importance of the promises of God in our lives. Aren't you glad that you hold in your lap a book this morning that God says of his own word in Isaiah chapter 55 that his word will not return void? What a promise. That it will accomplish that which God pleases and it will prosper in the thing whereto he sent it. You can trust the promises of God. Though the circumstances of life which may I say this, until end times judgment will never, I don't care how bad they may get, will never be as bad as a worldwide flood. The circumstances of life do not alter the promises of God. I think about Psalm 84 and verse number 11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You believe that promise this morning? 
It's a promise to us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16, there's a promise of a place that we can flee. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you glad that you can say with complete confidence based on the promises of God that the throne of grace is a real place? I think about Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 and following. That uh, we are not to be covetous and we are to be content with such things as we have. For the Lord God has said to us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's a promise. A promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And when I have him, I have all I need. We just sang about it. Christ is all I need. I think about another promise that anchors our soul. John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30. Jesus said of those that believe on him, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. It's a double negative in the original language. In the English language, if we use a double negative, it becomes a positive. In the original Greek language, if you use a double negative, negative, it becomes all that much stronger of a negative. Jesus is saying, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall not, never, ever, ever perish. Okay. Makes for pretty poor English grammar, but really good Greek grammar. Okay. They shall not ever perish. We're held in his hand. What promises? I mentioned in the Sunday school hour how believers of all people should see in every other human being, the image of God, because all men are made in the image of God. And how societies that have become more secular have diminished the value of what they consider to be less productive human life. Handicapped individuals. And yet I'm here to tell you this morning that some of the greatest spiritual lessons I've ever learned are from people that our society sometimes would consider handicapped. I mentioned the name of Nate Reese. Many of us have been challenged by the godliness and the God focus of Nate Reese. My sophomore year of Bible college, a lady from Alabama sent an adopted son from South Korea to ambassador. He had about a sixth grade level of education, but she wanted him to be influenced by the atmosphere and so got special permission for him to come and live in the dorms. And I will never forget, I'll just, his name was Michael. I'll never forget a testimony that Michael gave one night that I still am impacted by. He stood up in a church service and he said with his slow speech, and, I, and I'm not making fun at all, please give me that benefit. But he said with slow halting speech, he said the other night, he said I was outside looking up at all the stars. He said, I remembered what God said to Abraham. That Abraham could trust God's promises. Abraham, Michael said, look at all those stars. And then he turned around and looked at all of us in the auditorium and he said, God keeps his promises. Seasons should cause us to remember the power of God. It should cause us to remember the promises of God. On an opposite note, the seasons should cause us to remember the powerlessness of man. 
<laughs> Look at Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. In the book of Job chapter 38, they're in the section, we're in the section where God finally steps on the scene after Job and all of his friends have tried to figure out God. Job chapter 38, verse number 19. God begins asking Job over a couple chapters a series of questions to just remind him of his own powerlessness and his own smallness. By the way, where a society has had a big view of man and a small view of God, that society has spiraled downward. Many of our problems in life are the result of a big view of man and a small view of God. But notice the questions in relation to the seasons and the sources of light and energy that God asks Job. Where is the way where light dwelleth? Can you tell me where light comes from? And as for darkness, by the way, somebody might say, well, it comes from the sun. Uh, God made light on day one before he made the sun. You can just think on that one for a little bit. <laughs> By the way, who's going to be the light of the eternal city? The Bible says the Lord is the light. And as for darkness, he goes on, where is the place thereof that thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof? Can you put dark and light in a box? That thou shouldest know the paths to the house thereof, the house of light, the house of darkness. Verse number 21, knowest thou it, Job? Because thou wast then born? <laughs> Were you alive when I created light? Or because the number of thy days is great, hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? Just ask Napoleon how winter warfare goes. Ask Hitler how winter warfare goes. God has a way of with a, the accumulation of billions of these little ice crystals shutting down an army tank. A whole tank or a whole army. Verse number 24. By what way is the light parted which scattereth the east wind upon the earth, showing there how heat even affects wind currents? Who hath divided a water course for the overflowing of the waters or a way for the lightning of thunder to cause it to rain upon the earth where no man is, on the wilderness where there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth? Hath the rain a father? Or who hath begotten the drops of dew? Out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost to heaven? Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Going on talking about star constellations. As it relates to seasons, they remind us of our own powerlessness. Man cannot alter seasons. He can, in a sense, avoid them by moving to Florida. But then he moves into the oncoming path of hurricanes. And then we have people who are proposing that we colonize Mars. You know what? It may happen, but let me tell you some of what's behind it. It is a diminishing of the uniqueness of Earth. And let me just say this without any apology whatsoever. The uniqueness of our planet is a testimony to the Creator God. 
They say that you're not supposed to go barefoot in any month with an R in it. Somebody's not told my daughter Elena that. She goes barefoot all the time. One of the traditions that Grace brought into the family is the first snow of every year. You run around the house barefoot in the snow. (laughs) I have not participated in that one. Teeny did because she's barefoot all the time anyway. We have the choice when it comes to seasons to acknowledge them and adapt to them. I mentioned a couple weeks ago a pastor friend of mine in Indiana who said there isn't any such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. You see storms and rain systems the width of an entire state. And it reminds us of how powerless we are. But how powerful our God is. The changing of the seasons in the year should also cause us to focus on the pleasure of God. Remember that it's His pleasure, in a very legitimate sense, to please us. Not to please us in our sin, but to please us out of love for His creation. I remind us of Acts 14 and verse number 17 that we read a moment ago. He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. In the Bible Institute class on Thursday nights, the class has been learning some uh, proofs of creation in a biblical worldview based on principles of consistency. That is a worldview that is consistent with the evidence that we see around us. And one of those is what is called the anthropic principle that really summarizes this. Our universe was designed with humans in mind. The term is finely tuned. When you think about the elements, when you think about the atmosphere, when you think about the electromagnetic field, when you think about the gravitational pull, when you think of all these different hundreds of interacting elements and forces and energies... They are all finely tuned where the alteration of one just slightly would throw our entire ecosystem out of whack. The only explanation, can I say it this way? Design demands a designer. Okay. But he just didn't design a machine. He designed a place that beautifully and wonderfully sustains human life to be enjoyed. When we think about the variety, I have a friend who years ago lived in the northern part of Minnesota and he joked, he said, in Minnesota we only have two seasons, ten months of snow and two months of rough sledding. (laughs) Are you grateful for the variety? I know we all have our favorite times of year, but can I tell you the variety that we experience in the changing of the seasons You trace it all back to a God who loves you. He loves his creation. And he wants you to see his handiwork in everyday life so that you can be focused on him. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Remember what we said at the beginning of the message, the beauty of the seasons is a result of the rotation of the earth on its tilted axis, 23.4 degrees, 
around the sun, the fixed point of the sun. And the application for us is that any circumstance and the change of our life can be guaranteed of ultimate beauty as long as we stay focused on the fixed point of our unchanging God. If you, if you don't get anything else today, remember that. Because life has its changes. Okay. If you ask someone who believes in evolution how the earth got tilted on its 23.4 degree axis, spinning on that axis at 1,000 miles per hour, rotating around the sun in a year, traveling at 66,000 miles an hour. By the way, it's a miracle we all stay on here. (laughs) If you ask someone who believes in the theory of evolution that this all just happened as a result of the Big Bang, their theory is that the earth was originally perfectly perpendicular on its axis. By the way, that wouldn't have worked. but that it was hit four billion years ago by a meteor the size of Mars traveling at 22,000 miles per hour. Can I just tell you, if Mars hit Earth traveling at 22,000 miles an hour, it's not just going to tilt it on its axis. They also believe that the debris formed from that collision, which the Earth survived and only got knocked over to 23.4 degrees, that the the debris from that collision formed into the moon. Google it! Okay. Formed into the moon. I'm with the authors Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17, we trust in the living God who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. The changing of the seasons should remind us, help us to focus on the pleasure of God, that it's his pleasure for us to experience pleasure. The budding of a flower in the springtime, the turning of an apple from a blossom into fruit that we can eat. overwhelming power of a sunset on the ocean, the warmth of the sand on a beach, the smell of leaves beginning their slow change in the fall, the briskness of the air after the sweltering heat of summer, the pleasure of wearing a flannel, the beauty clear beauty of a fresh fallen landscape of snow is a testimony that when Jesus saves us, we'll be washed whiter than snow. The changing of the seasons also point us to the pattern of life. And I'm going to be bringing things to a conclusion, a final thought here. At the beginning of the message, I traced with us the etymology of the word season from the Latin word serrar, the old French word saison, saison. If Josh and Katie are watching, he's probably going. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Josh and Katie are missionaries out of our church. They're in French language school in Quebec, Canada right now. 
And when he listens to this, because he normally does, I'm sure he'll still go, oh, pastor, you need to come up here and go to school too. The seasons, seed time and harvest, the agricultural cycle. Think about it in the Bible. They illustrate numerous activities of life as it relates to our responsibilities and privileges and our relationship to the Lord. Seasons, seed time and harvest, the law of sowing and reaping. I think about Psalm chapter 30 and verse number 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I think about that in relation to Psalm 126, 5 and 6. The people of Israel in that psalm are grieving over the Babylonian captivity, sowing in tears, but God promises that those that sow in tears will reap in joy. Grieving over release from captivity and a principle that even applies to us today when it comes to our sowing in tears over lost souls that we know who need Jesus Christ and then seeing the joy that comes when they do come to Christ. And so sowing and reaping the seasons, the cycle of the seasons, illustrate the grieving process. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4, or chapter 4 and verse number 2, pardon me, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, admonishes him, listen, even in the midst of apostasy and conflict, the circumstances of life, he says, be instant, in season and out of season. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient, be instant. It literally means be there, be all in. So when it comes to our preaching the word, going with the word of God, whether it's in a church setting, whether it's to our neighbors, whether it's to a coworker, whether it's on visitation telling others about Christ, we are to be instant in season and out of season when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. And so the, the cycle of sowing and reaping, seasons, the changing of the seasons applies to our going with the word. Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 3. The delight of the blessed man is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. As that tree, or can I say it this way, as the, the earth of my life keeps its focus on the unchanging sun, our unchanging God, I'm guaranteed of the production of fruit at the right time, the season of life. It illustrates growth. He'll bring forth his fruit in a season. Look, if you would, at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'm bringing this to a conclusion. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, God makes promises... He's going to keep those promises. Okay, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, that is the things of God, he shall of the Spirit reap what? Life everlasting. The seasons, the changing of the seasons, the law of sowing and reaping illustrate godliness. Get this, folks. It's simple. When I sow to the things of this world in the flesh, I reap the things of this world in the consequences of flesh. 
But when I sowed the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit of God and the things of God, the Bible guarantees me that I will reap what I sow. I think about seasons as it relates to guarding ourselves in temptation. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 13 One of the reasons for the placement of the account of the temptation of Christ by the devil in the wilderness, the main reason is to prove that he is God, that he couldn't sin, even when tempted by the devil. But another thing that is taught to us in the accounts of the temptation of Christ is an example for you and for me how we battle temptation. It is written, it is written, it is written. That's why it's so important that we be filled up with the Word of God because that's your best weapon when you're tempted. But the Bible says something interesting in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 13. It says that after the devil had tempted the Lord Jesus, he departed from him for a season. The devil's temptation can be seasonal in your life. can come on with a vengeance. And then I believe part of his wiles, part of his slyness is that he'll back off. And when he backs off, you know what happens? Our guard tends to come down. And then he comes in again. And so the cycle of seasons helps to illustrate the importance of our being on guard, of our godliness, of our growth, of how we go with the word, how we grieve even. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the law of sowing and reaping, the seasonal changes of life, Illustrate our giving. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. God loves a cheerful giver, one who gives according to the law of sowing and reaping. You sow what you reap. Or you, pardon me, let me get this backwards. I'm just messing up the ecological cycle, aren't I? You reap what you sow, you reap after you sow, and you reap more than you sow. So giving. You can't outgive God. You can't. A final one before we conclude, and that is this. The changes of the seasons should turn our focus more and more to the Lord because they illustrate for us the patterns of life, the grieving process, our going, our growth, godliness, guarding ourselves against temptation, giving. But then probably the most important, is that the, the cycle of season, the law of sowing and then reaping, is an illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you remember John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24? When a group of Greeks were worshiping in the temple and they came to Philip and Andrew and they said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. Jesus' ministry and popularity was declining. And so, hey, here are some guys that represent the philosophical elite of the day. These guys are interested in Jesus. And they bring him to Jesus. They bring these Greeks to Jesus. And the first thing out of his mouth probably didn't tend to build a following at the first. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Do you understand that the sowing of seed in the ground, the death of that seed, and then the raising to new life of that seed is an illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And here's what I want you to get this morning. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was a seed sown in the ground, in death, and now raised to new life through his resurrection. And get this, because he is my substitute, as I trust in him, fully depend upon him in faith, his life, perfect life, counted for mine. His substitutionary death is the payment for sin, counts as my payment for sin in his death. His resurrection counts for my life, or for my resurrection. And as he was raised to walk in the newness of life, as I'm, as I'm his child, I can be raised to walk in the newness of life too. And so the changing of the season directs our focus to the power of God, directs it to the promises of God, directs our focus to the powerlessness of man, the pleasure of God, and finally, the patterns of life. Let me conclude with this. All of us, all of us, experience changes in life. Agreed? Okay. Circumstances. Maybe a move, maybe an unexpected difficulty, Maybe a job loss. Maybe some kind of interpersonal relationship issue. Sometimes it's somebody else's choice that has collateral damage in your life. You can't change that. Those are seasons of life that come. But here's the point that I want us to get. Our unchanging, powerful God, as we keep our focus fixed on Him in our orbit, centering on Him. No matter the changes that come, they can be made beautiful as we keep our focus upon our unchanging God. Okay. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that how many things work together for good? Oh. To them that love God. There's a condition. To them who are the called according to His purpose. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This study has made me think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in a fresh light. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. Now get this. Picture the sun, our unchanging God, fixed. In all your ways, as you move through the changes, the circumstances of life, you keep your life acknowledging Him, fixed on Him, in relation to Him. And he shall direct thy paths. Whatever the change is, your change may not be mine. Your loss may not be the same as mine. All of our changes, all of our circumstances, all of our difficulties are different. But our God is the same. And he is at the center. And as we keep our orbit fixated on him, he will, as the Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, He will make all things beautiful in His time. Maybe you're here this morning and you would fit yourself in the category of unbeliever or doubter, uncertain of eternal life. I just conclude by saying to you today that 2,000 years ago, a seed was sown in the ground because it died but it did not stay dead. <laughs> he won. He won. He won. 
He is the conqueror. He raised victorious over death so that Paul could say, Death, where is thy sting? Because he is raised in the victorious victory over life, you and I have the assurance of that as we trust in him. He died to pay our debt. He raised to give us life. And because he loves us, he forgives us when we repent in faith of our sin. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the challenge of it to my heart and how this study for the message today has encouraged me, it's convicted me. And Lord, I pray that as we conclude this service, that our focus would be turned upon you, that our feet would more resolutely than ever be planted upon the promises of God in the word of God. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Join me.